Hello, Bethel fandom. Welcome to Keep Singing, a Bethel and Beth Green and Daryl Dixon podcast. It is I, your host, Sunny, aka Dynamic Symmetry, on Tumblr and Twitter and many other places. And I am bringing you a very special treat. Well, you know, actually it's not that different from what I mostly do in these episodes, but it was a very special treat for me. Uh, two weekends ago, God, I think it was two weekends ago. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know how you time. Um, I went to Boston for ReaderCon, which was fucking spectacular. And what was just as much a spectacular part of that is that Molly, Sail Not Drift, let me crash on her couch for a night when I desperately needed some place to sleep. And we had a very good time. Uh, we got to hang some not long enough. I was only there for one evening, but uh, I'll go back. And we got to hang out some, and we had some possibly slightly ill-advised wine. And uh, we just talked shit. Um, a lot of it ended up being Team Defiance related. So again, you know, if that's not really a thing, be aware that that's coming. We only were able to talk for about an hour while I had to go to bed, uh, which is a terrible shame. We could have kept talking. I think we could have kept talking for hours. That's how it's worked on Skype before. Last time I talked to her on Skype, I think we went for like two and a half hours. <laughs> we had like an hour planned. But again, I'll be going back and we'll be having much, much longer conversations, hopefully. But this one was a lot of fun. I really hope you will enjoy it. I enjoyed having it. Uh, I need to apologize in advance because the sound quality isn't great. Um, I mean, whenever I record on my iPad, which I was this time, the sound quality is not spectacular, but it was especially uh, problematic in this case because we are in a very echoey room uh, with uh, the window open because it was hot, as I think we explained, and there were motorcycles outside. They're not there for the whole time, they're only there for a couple of minutes, but uh, it's a little annoying. And I can only, again, I can only do so much with audacity. So it's, I mean, it's gonna sound like you're in a big echoey room, but I'm assuming that that's not gonna be a deterrent for most of you. So before I get to that, a couple of things. Um, first of all, I want to go ahead and be super self-serving here and announce that I have launched, or I will be launching this Wednesday, a new project that I am so excited and so nervous about. Uh, it's something I've been really wanting to do for a while, it's just that the right idea had not hit me. And it finally hit me and I think I finally, I really know what I want to do. Like most of my fanfiction, I actually, you know, I have it sort of planned, but there's a lot that I don't know about it yet. So I'm sort of figuring it out as I go, and we'll see if that's great, and we'll see if that's a disaster. It's always something of a crapshoot. But it is an episodic horror podcast called Gone, and it is already hosted on Podbean. You can go to gonepodcast.podbean.com and find it there and it is also available for subscription via apple podcasts slash itunes and if you subscribe there and you listen to the first couple of episodes and you like it it would mean so much to me like much more than it means for this podcast if you would rate and review it there and the reason why it would mean so 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 much to me if you would rate and review it there is because that directly affects chart standings and the more reviews i get the more ratings I get, the higher on the charts I am, and the higher on the charts I am, the easier it is for other people to find the podcast. So if you could see your way to doing that, if you like it, that would be fantastic. Um, it's probably one of the most ambitious things I've ever done. I'm learning to do stuff that I don't know how to do. I'm learning to use sound effects in a way that I 
don't know how to do. I have no formal training in sound design. I am trying to do what I do with this podcast and make it sound as professional as I possibly can. Uh, hopefully it won't sound too cheap. Hopefully it won't sound as cheap as it is, which is pretty much a budget of zero dollars. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's coming this Wednesday, and I hope you'll give it a try, uh, especially if you like things like Alice Isn't Dead or Archive 81 or Tannis or The Black Tapes. Uh, it's not so much like Tannis or The Black Tapes because it's not really like serial. It's not like investigative reporting, but you know, I think it's kind of the same mood. So I'll shut up about it. But yeah, I, I, I hope that you'll give it a try. And if you do give it a try, I hope that you will like it. Gonepodcast.podbean.com uh, And also, my patron spiel. If you enjoy this podcast, and if you are listening to it, I assume that you at least enjoyed a marginal amount. You can help me keep doing it in a couple of different ways. The first way, and the easiest way, and completely cost-free to you, is that you can spread the word about it. You can reblog it. You can recommend it. You can post about it. You can let people know about it in so many different ways. And it is so great when you do that, because the more people who listen to this, the better things are. And if you can support it in more of a material way, then you can go to my Patreon, which is linked on the top of my Tumblr blog, dynamicsymmetry.tumblr.com. There is a link to Patreon. You can click on that. Or if you prefer not to do Patreon, you can go to keepsingingpodcast.wordpress.com and you can click on the picture of a tip jar and you can donate via PayPal. And that's also amazing. Oh, and finally, and this is one more point that is sort of related to what I just said. Uh, This is going to be the last episode that we are hosting on SoundCloud. Uh, It's time to leave. It's time to move to bigger and better things. So I'm moving this to Podbean as well. That means there will not be any more posts on SoundCloud. Uh, What I have, like I said in the last episode, will remain until my paid account runs out in this coming January. But uh, there won't be anything new here. So make sure that you are either subscribed at Podbean or you are subscribed via Apple Podcasts because otherwise there is not going to be any way for you to get it. So yeah, just, just make sure you're doing that. So the next episode in a couple of weeks is going to be hosted on Podbean. And I hope very much that I will see you there. Okay, let me go ahead and get to the conversation with Molly. Uh, yeah, I hope you like it. It was super fun. See you on the flip side. Okay, hi everybody. I'm here with Molly. We have, we have wine. We weren't even talking about this initially, but then we kind of threw a very long and complicated. We were talking about Nazis. We were talking about Nazis and now. Well, but no, but see, we were talking about the destruction of bodies and memory, and that actually. Yes. See, right? Nobody. Nobody. Yeah, but no. Oh, the. Sorry, and that just no. that just made me think of like that rule uh, of, you know, the rule of conservation in television as taught by Joss Whedon, that if well not by Joss Whedon, but anyway, my 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 um, you can tell I've been drinking, my like no, that's good, my like rule for television, especially in a post Whedon era, is if you, there's not a, if you don't see a body, the person is not yeah. dead, like yeah. even if like you like. Even if you see a grave, it doesn't matter. Like you don't know there's someone in the grave. Yeah, ain't nobody, nothing. This is. I mean, this isn't necessarily about The Walking Dead because obviously, like, I mean, grave seeing graves is part of our argument or our logic behind saying that she's an anomaly. But like, I don't know. If you've seen a TV yeah. show in your life, you know that this is suspicious automatically. Yeah. Yeah. 
I will tell you about my theory about House of Cards. Can I, t- can I tell you about it? It's not really a plot spoiler. You can tell me about, you can tell me and the good people listening at home about your theory about House of Cards. No, okay, there's one, ga- there's one, okay. If, if you've seen, if you've seen this, if you've seen the scene, you'll know what I'm talking about. Basically, there's a character where it cuts from her walking down the road and, like, turning around to look back at the guy who's awful, and I really hope he dies terribly, and then it cuts to, uh, she's a brunette, and it cuts to a shot of someone throwing dirt over a brunette in a grave, but you don't see her face. Uh-huh. And previously in the episode, this dude had decided not to kill her, and so it was it was indicated by her turning around to look at him that he had changed his mind, but we don't know that. Mm-hmm. Since we didn't see her face, we just saw her hair. Right. So she she could totally be alive. Yeah. And I'm not just saying that because they've killed every single one of my other favorite characters in the show. Just and I, yeah. And like I was just like she is, for the until that happened, I was like she is going to be the one that brings down the Underwoods, and then I got really sad. But, well, no, but like that is. No, she's alive. We didn't see her face. This is, but this is something. This is something that we come back to over and over and over again. It's. It is. It is important what a show shows you. Mm-hmm. What it, it, there's um, there's sort of an opportunity cost in storytelling. Uh, I always. I, I was almost an economist, guys, and then I decided I couldn't do the math. But I keep coming back to microecon terms now and then. Uh, there's I'm there's an economist. <laughs> you can ask her. Economists and sociologists fucking hate each other. It's just <laughs> uh, it's um there's kind of an opportunity cost to storytelling, which means that if you show something, it means you're not showing something else. And what a show is revealing is when a show's revealing something, it means it's concealing something. And what a show chooses to reveal, and what it's implied that they're concealing because of that is really important. Mm-hmm. And and not even saying anything that we haven't said a hundred million times, but it would have been so easy to show us something, and they didn't. And I don't know how else to read that than a very intentional editorial decision. And not just that they chose not to show us anything, they put in very specific absences. Yes. That they point to if you. I mean, if you're paying attention like us, they point to very explicitly. Yeah. And I mean, here I'm talking about you know a you know them. How did they get out of Atlanta? Yeah. And those like weird those hallucinations that are shown um, in the Tyrese episode of yeah. them running with guns near cars that yeah. don't see anywhere else. Yeah, well that's not even that's not even like that is a that is a memory. It is yeah. just a completely incomplete memory that exists entirely out of context, has no obvious connection with the end of Coda. We don't know why they're running, we don't know what's going on. It doesn't look like the parking lot particularly. And it points directly to the gap that Rick makes explicit of those what was it, seventeen yeah. days? Yeah. Yeah, it's something like that. It was over two weeks. Yeah, and like these, like, point like when you have signposts pointing towards an absence of something. Yeah, especially when that absence contains theoretically a body. Mm-hmm. Like, now thinking about the Buffy episode, the body, yep. where which is all about presence and absence. Mm-hmm. You know, God, it's one of the best episodes in the whole show. In like history, it's just yeah. fucking devastating. Yeah. Yeah, and like I'm thinking, I'm, I have, I have this like. I remember when I first started to understand the episode as I was watching it was when, I think it was when Dawn was called out of her classroom and as she was leaving, the camera focused on um, this like sketch on like sketchboard or whatever of just like an outline. And 
I was like, that's what this is about. It's about something that's there but isn't there. Yeah. It's empty. Mm-hmm. Um, and having that absence surrounding, you know, the absence of life. Yeah. I'm doing air quotes if you can't, you can't see me. <laughs> um, that, like, that's telling at, like, a number of levels. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, and it's, God, I really, I, I believe we will be vindicated. And when that day happens, I think that, that a lot of the general audience who just doesn't give a shit about this one way or the other, who will probably just kind of, for the most part, accept this as, oh, yeah, the shows do this periodically. Oh, well, we're going to move on with the story now. Also, and, like, they, when you look back, it's going to make complete sense. Yeah, they're going to be like, because oh. this is Occam's fucking razor yeah. right here. The only thing that makes sense, given all of the pieces of evidence that we have, or at least the vast majority of them, is that she's alive. Like, yeah. it's the well, only... She may still be dead, but that would mean that none of it makes any sense. Exactly. And the way to make it, to make her being dead make sense involves so many, so much mental gymnastics. Like, that, like it just, it's, it's, like... I don't buy it. And, like, one of, the, one of the things that I always say or think or will say, especially when people ask me, like, how do you still believe at this point when you're going to stop believing? It's, like, there's no expiration date. Like, Beth doesn't have an expiration date. Yeah. I mean, I've, the peop- other people on the show who aren't, you know, like, the power three or four, they all have expiration dates. Um, but because she isn't on screen... And we don't know where she is. We don't know if she's alive or dead. She's Schrodinger's Beth. Exactly. Like, she... It, it doesn't matter if the show lasts 15 more seasons. She could still come back. Yeah. And they could make it relevant, depending on how they shape the arc of that particular That's season. That's the great thing about storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's... it's. God, we're, we, we were going to talk about attrition, and we've kind of... And the war, and we've kind of... <laughs> well, no, but this kind of has to... I'm also thinking about, like... You were talking about mass graves earlier, so I'm picturing like Beth yeah. and like a, like a gigantic great like a gigantic darkness surrounding her and yeah. Anyway, there's weird bad imagery in my head from that earlier. Conversation. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm sorry about the extermination camps. <laughs> no, it was really it, no. I t- like I told you, it was so educational. I like I want to hear you talk about it more, but it's like not on this podcast though. <laughs> and also like because I I have drunk like, a few inches of wine, which for me is a lot. It's, like... You're fucking lightweight. I'm on, like, six different medications that say, do not drink on my labels. <laughs> Look, you're a rebel then. I'm a lightweight. God. Oh, but, like... Anyway, this is... The the, the lack of sense... This, the lack of sense is something... I mean, it, this kind of gets back to what we were talking about with attrition and how we've... I mean, we were, we were talking earlier about how we've lost... There, there are artists, there are uh, writers who uh, aren't around anymore because they just kind of gave up and wandered off. And it's not even just gave up and wandered off, but like you were saying, the fact that there is no new canon, so there's nothing to feed it, unless you're willing to really do some work. Yes. And I enjoy doing the work, personally. I like being able to find new places to go. But if that's not what you... And it's not like not wanting to do that is wrong. It's just not what you want to do. And I think yeah. for people who don't really want to do that... The reason to stay has kind of, they run out of things that they want to do, so they've left. And even, like, even in shows or you know or with characters that are very much alive and very much continuing, like I've just lost interest for yeah. no 
particular reason. Like, yeah, it can happen for any reason. Yeah, and so like, it's not it's not specific. It's not saying like, oh, so you have decided that Beth is dead. So you have decided to abandon us. Yeah, like, and no, people just peel off. Yeah, and yeah. it's it can be for like any reason. It could be for the reason I just said, and like there's nothing wrong with that. No. It's just it's no. sad. It's sad for the people still here because we miss all of that. Yeah talent and camaraderie yeah. and, but we know that you're giving that talent and camaraderie somewhere yeah. else so it's not gone we've just we've just lost we just it. miss it yeah yeah and like i said we <laughs> i just like how i delivered the sign we've lost a lot of good people in this war <laughs> yeah it, but but the, the 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 thing that keeps the attrition from happening i mean the one of the things that I've said this many times, um, I've sort of screened this so many times in the group chat. One of the things that keeps me here at this point, first of all, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not losing anything by being here. It's not like, I'm, it's not like I'm poorer for it. I'm just choosing to believe one thing and to reject another. Mm-hmm. But, um, it's not even entirely about Beth for me anymore. It's just, if she's dead, fine. I don't want that, but fine. If she's alive, fine. But either way, I need this to make sense. And right now, it makes no sense. And and it's it's one of the things that really frustrates me. Um, I don't remember exactly why, but I was thinking this the other day. It's one of the things that, that frustrates me about the rewrite theory, among other things. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, it makes no sense. It's... I, I, I will die on that hill. It makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Especially in the context of the other rewrites. Especially in the context of the... We know what they look like. We know what it looks like when shit goes down behind the scenes and it's a big disaster. And you might not know all of the details of what happened, and you might not know the full extent of the the ugliness, but you know that something happened, and you know that it was bad. And we have no indication that anything like that happened except for the fact that the story did something extraordinarily strange and very incongruous with everything that came before it. What are you talking about specifically? What do you mean? Like being like a re- like a rewrite that was incongruous. Oh, uh, no, no, I just mean like the the fact that um, the first Beth's arc in season five up until Coda is essentially, and I call it the Beth is Strong campaign, it's, mm-hmm. it's a giant case. It is Gimple making a very, very, almost like bang you yeah. over the head explicit case for why Beth is important and legitimate and strong and why she has a right to survive and why all the people who hate her are wrong and stupid and then she just dies and you can you can believe one of two things about why that happened because it's, it's just here's the plot I'm making a move, line movement with my arm here's, here's the plot and then the plot just like I don't even, it doesn't even just change direction it's just gone and something completely different pops in at the very end. And it's, it's, it's two pieces that do not fit together no matter how hard you make them, how hard you try to make them. The way she died does not fit her plot. And you can believe one of two things at that point. You can believe that uh, she's not dead, and it seems like bullshit because it is, and what we were shown is not what happened. Or you can look at it as sort of a, oh, they got to a point and what they intended to do didn't work out for whatever reason and they had to go and scrap it and they had to go back in and they had to very, very clumsily, right? So they had to kill her off in an extremely clumsy way. And on the surface, I see why that, if you want, if you, if you believe that Beth is dead, but you need it to make sense 
and you're not, you're not satisfied with just, she's dead, and nothing makes any sense. And I understand the very strong impulse for things to make sense because that is exactly where I am. But on the surface, the idea that it was a rewrite is, is compelling. It does kind of make some sense because it explains at least why it's so incongruous. It explains why her death is a total non sequitur. But it would be very, first of all, it would be very, very easy. We've, see, we've seen what last-minute rewrites look like in terms of being very bad, and we've also seen what last-minute rewrites look like in terms of being quite decent, and Andrea's death is the example I always come back to. It was a, it was a textbook last-minute rewrite. Mm -hmm. It was an emergency rewrite. And it's not great, but it is significantly better than what came before it. If you need to rewrite something in an emergency sense, and you are a halfway skilled writer, it might not be great, but it doesn't look like what Coda looked like. And what Coda looked like was an amateur, just amateurish on a lot of levels. At least yeah. talking about the specific death scene. The death scene There's, itself! It's like, the, we've talked about before, the way it's shot, the way everything goes down, it's pointing at itself. Yes. As something that the writers or the producers or whatever have done poorly in yeah. terms of the way television is produced. Unbelievably poorly. It's, and, it's, it's, yeah. such a, it's just rookie mistake after rookie mistake. And if you're going, and like, if a team of writers, if a production of billi like billions and billions of dollars the show is worth, if they're going to do a rewrite, they're going to have, they're going to put, even if it's last minute, they're going to put a little bit more effort into at least making it look cinematography, in terms of cinematography. Making it a little more convincing. Making it more convincing. Yeah. Making it, you know, I, d I don't know. It's, 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 not, it's not just the writing that gets thrown off. It's the entire way that it's filmed. It's everything about it. And the, I don't know what the deal is with the motorcycle guys. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. The window's open because it's hot it's and hot. annoying. Yeah. Um, but, like... The fact, and I know, I remember well, there was a point in time when people were talking about the, uh, oh my god, there's a word, the can canted cameras, is that what's called, the canted shot? The, oh, um, the Dutch angles. Dutch angles, yes, yeah. like the Dutch angles, which we haven't seen otherwise in the show? No, I think we've seen them before, but we haven't seen them very much, and I don't recall the context in which they were used, okay. but... So, um, can you, can you can tell us if we're talking too loud. Okay, I bet it won't be a problem, but thank you. Okay, let us know. Okay, thanks. Um, we've, we've seen them before. I don't remember exactly under what circumstance we saw them, but um, we've, they've hardly been used at all. I think they've only been used three or four other times, absolute maximum, and I think it's more like two or three. And they're always used in very, very specific ways. Dutch angles exist. Dutch angles have a name. They're a proper noun because they're used in they're used in very specific circumstances and really in no other way, unless unless uh, it's battlefield earth, in which case they're being used all the fucking time in every shot. That's one of the reasons why that would be so bad. I haven't seen it. Don't. <laughs> it's, well, no, it is hilariously terrible. But um, you know what it is, right? No, I thought it was a, I it was a video game. No, it's it's a uh, total digression. <laughs> but but it's um it's it's uh, John Travolta. Uh, famed Scientologist decided he was going to adapt his finger to L. Ron Hubbard's books. And it is... It is, it is hilariously wretched. And did did he write and direct it? Or... I don't... I, I, I he just produce it. I think he just produced it. Oh, okay. to he's the star. 
Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I sort of, yeah. I sort of assume that. Yeah. But one of the reasons why that movie is so bad, and this is in fact relevant, is that it 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 takes the whole conceit of Dutch angles and what they mean, and it demolishes the meaning because it uses them in just about every scene. And the whole purpose of a Dutch angle is to convey a sense of not only a sense of dread and unease, which you know, in off there were actually elements of that scene in Coda that were done quite well. And one of the things that was done quite well, it makes the bad stuff even more glaring, one of the things that was done quite well was the use of those Dutch angles, because the second I saw them, I was like, this is, one way or another, this is going to end super bad. This is not going anywhere good. Mm -hmm. So it's it's to convey a sense of wrongness and dread, but it, I, if, if I'm recalling correctly how it's often used, it's also meant to convey a sense of a sense that what you are seeing is not trustworthy. And it's like sur surreality. Surreality, yeah. yeah. It's, I was going to say that. almost kind of a yeah. dream state. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think, I, I don't know, I don't know if they were used in Vertigo, but like Vertigo popped into my head, that whole sequence, like the famous sequence where like his head is spinning in the dream mm -hmm. and it's like, like that's what I, when I, think, when I think of the way that scene was shot, like that's the kind of thing I think of where it's like you, you can't trust it. It's, formed out of fear and the misperceptions that happen when your vision is clouded by fear. Yeah, and there are so many things that we don't see. Yeah. 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 And and this and the other the other thing I I I got I back I remember back when this was really popular, I remember thinking, I would rather her be dead than this be true. The idea that I, I don't know if some people saw the thing about the Dutch angles and ran with it in a literary way, in a literal way, or if they just it's another one of those, you know, trippy TV things that just kind of lunged for and grabbed because it was a little thread of hope. The idea that it was all a dream. I don't buy that. Well, no, not only yeah. do I not buy it, but it's fucking awful writing, and it makes no sense given everything else we've seen. But I, the the kind of surreality and the, the sense that nothing you're seeing is reliable and that you shouldn't trust any of what you're being shown because there's a lot that you're not being shown. I, that, I... Do not. I want to completely uh, foreclose on the idea that any of that should be literal. And I think that it doesn't have to be literal to make sense. Because no, the, no. the way that I see it is that that's reality is from the perspective of the you know of team family Daryl and Rick in particular, who the sh shots focus on. Who you know, if you see someone get shot in the head, you see someone get shot in the head. You see the blood. You yeah. see the the horror, and you like. Especially, I mean, in a world that's governed by the rules of you shoot it in the head in any way. It dies. It dies. Yes. Yeah. And that's, you know, as the seasons have gone on, it's gotten more and more ridiculous the way it plays out because they have to try and kill walkers in more inventive ways to right. keep us interested, whatever. But that's how, you know, if you see someone, I mean, I assume, if you see someone in front of you that you love, get shot in the head, you're not going to... You're not thinking You're not thinking survival statistics. You're not thinking, yes. you know, five, approximately 5% of people in that approximate angle in space. Especially okay. especially yeah, with the trauma and PTSD that they're all dealing with. Yeah. Um, especially Daryl, who we know his perceptions of the world get twisted very easily. Yeah. His perceptions of himself, their perceptions well, of the Well he's not only Well exactly. they all are at this point, but Daryl kind of was to begin with. Exactly. And I think that if you if you think about that those ankles being used to show again again, something we were talking about before, the unreliability of narratives that you construct of history even as history is happening yeah um it, it's 
I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, remember I was talking earlier about narratology, and one, mm-hmm. one of the things that, one of the things that I, I like talking about uh, regarding this, in some ways almost as, as kind of an apology for Scott Gimple. Um, you apologist. I am such a Gimple apologist. Oh my God. It's terrible. I know. I'm a total traitor. Um, it, I, for some reason, I love him desperately, and I feel the need to defend him at every turn. That beard is so seductive. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh my god. He's such a fucking nerd. Uh, it's the the idea that um, and guys, for for those of you who don't know, my I did a lot of work in narratology uh, when I was in college. The the idea that there are different levels on which different people are experiencing the reality of the story. Like mm-hmm. there's there's the story world is experienced by the characters, and then there's 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 their perception of it, and that includes time. That includes their perception of time. And then there is the perception of the story and time on the part of the people who are reading or watching the story. Those are two completely different things. But one of the um, one of the things that I think, if if it's a fake death, is actually quite clever about that scene, is the fact that Dutch angles are being used on two different levels. They're being used on the level of what team family is actually observing, because what they are seeing is not not reliable. They're seeing something Absolutely. and making a completely incorrect assumption about it. So, or, so is Dr. Edwards by not so checking her pulse yeah. or anything else. Which, you know, if, if that's what happened, I think we have to assume that that's what happened. I also don't find uh, pe- the I don't find the argument that, oh, they knew she was alive, but they left her behind. No. I think that's ridiculous and absolutely not what happened. No. Daryl would not... No, he, he never would have left her. He, would, he, would, he wouldn't have left the state. He wouldn't have left the room no. if he thought there was any chance she was alive. No, absolutely, absolutely no way. Absolutely no way. He's feeling incredibly guilty because he, she, he thinks she's dead, not because he knows she's alive and he left her behind. But it, it also, the Dutch angles also apply to us as viewers because we're being shown something that's not reliable and we're all make, we are all making the incorrect assumption we are meant to make, which is that when you get shot in the head, you're dead. Which not only, you know, not only, in, in, a, in a story about zombies, anything can really happen. You can pretty much decide to do anything you want. That doesn't mean the audience will necessarily buy it, but you can do whatever you want. But honestly, I think that like having a character survive being shot in the head in a zombie story is a really, if done right, it's a really cool subversion of the zombie narrative. Yeah. Well, and 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 and, 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 and what I was saying is it's actually, it's actually not just it's not it's not just that you could do whatever you wanted in a story and be like I don't give a fuck if it's realistic or not. This is a show about zombies, but it's entirely realistic in real life that you could survive a headshot mm-hmm. like that. It's not super probable, but statistically it's significant. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it, there's there is there is nothing about any of that that really presents much of a problem for me. And yeah. the idea that it was a last minute rewrite is, I think, pretty ludicrous. Yeah. I was thinking of a thing. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. You were saying good things, but that's <laughs> so I'm thinking of those things. But I forgot the thing. A thing that we were talking about earlier that is related to this thing, but I no longer remember it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it will probably come back to me, and I'll like scream at you in the middle of that, in the middle of one of your sentences. And I'll shut up. <laughs> um, I guess we can um, go back to why we started recording. Which is, why are we still here? Why we're still, well, like, yeah. Why are we even fucking talking to this listening <laughs> device on the table? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's the, like I was saying, it's, it's, the, it's the, 
I need to know what actually happened. I really need things to make sense. And right now, the only explanation I have that is at all satisfying is that is that we're right and she's not dead and this is all just a big fake out. It explains everything very neatly. It is a single explanation that fixes just about everything. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're just like, well, she's dead, you cannot make that make sense. Like, I'm sorry, none of the explanations that you come up with, like, it was a rewrite, it was a last minute rewrite, it was... It was meant to be like that all along. None of, none of the explanations you can come up with to try to rationalize her being dead work. And that's not to say that she's not dead. She could very well be. But if she is, none of that makes any sense. And sometimes things in life just don't make sense. That happens. But, do you, get, you got it? Yes, okay. I remember. Because one of the things we were talking about earlier is how um, my grandma has... Something I've noticed between myself and my grandma is that she gets extremely uncomfortable watching, you know, violence in movies, even if it's just, like, you know, two guys punching each other. Oh, let, right, right, right. Let alone, like, the kind of gore that's in The Walking Dead. Meanwhile, when I'm at her house, I, or anywhere, I absolutely cannot stand watching the news or listening to the news on the radio. And part of that's because, you know, when you read the news, you are making choices about what you consume, um, and you can control that to a stronger, a much stronger extent than if you're watching TV and all of a sudden it flashes to something that um, is suddenly no longer a news story and it's triggering and you're just like, I, yeah. I can't think about this. And, you know, if I think of it, I, it's important to think about these things, but it's like, I, for me, at this moment, it's just not good. Yeah. Um, but what I find really interesting, what I, what I think is the reason why I can why the why violence in narrative shows doesn't bother me whereas news stories about certain news stories about horrible things especially news stories about local individual horrible things happening while that bothers me while you know saving private ryan is like whatever um oh god i actually can't watch that scene i i don't know uh, why I don't know why I'm fine with violence for the most part, you know, uh, but I can't watch it. I mean, that's that's the scene that pops in my head, and I think yeah. of like gore on screen. But like that, yeah, yeah. but like certain like certain news stories bother me far more than those visuals, and that scene do mm -hmm. does. Yeah, and that's because when you have a narrative, there is a structure. There are, are rules because it's being created, like just especially. For you know, again, a TV show that's worth billions and billions of dollars, it's not gonna go, you know, all super experimental, you know, art house cinema on you. Like, you know, no matter how much Gimple wants his Emmy, it's, <laughs> and it's yeah, you know, it's it's there are rules that narratives follow even if they're not completely conventional narratives, even if it's a story like by that. The way, by the way, the speaker, I mean, the, the, the speaker probably, the microphone probably is okay. Oh, it is? Yeah, you don't have, you can talk it probably at normal volume. Oh, I'm drinking, so I can't tell. Well, no, it's, a, it's okay, it's okay. But also, I was just thinking, I probably can fix volume issues and audacity too. So okay. don't worry about the volume of your voice. That said, you're not screaming. I'm just letting you know. Okay. Okay. Um, so, like, there there are laws that control the narrative universe that you cannot control the universe of real life. And 
long story short, <laughs> that's that's why I think that's why I am not existentially bothered or terrified by violence or horrible things that I see in shows because I know that there are rules that govern this universe that govern this universe because it's created by people who are created by a society and a history that has a narrative tradition yeah. and also by a public that expects certain things from its narratives and it's a show that is trying to do a certain thing, create a certain meaning, yeah. which definitely for Gimple is hope. Mm-hmm. I think hope that and survival. Hope and survival. It's like this. I was thinking earlier when you were speaking about like another possible reason for killing Beth off, other than the rewrite, is to show the senselessness of this universe they live in. That there are no rules. That sometimes people just die. And I'm just thinking they already did that with Sophia. Yeah, that doesn't. And that doesn't really. The way that they, like the point, the way that they did it with Sophia was, I mean, that barn scene is one of the most effective scenes in the show's history. People wrote that episode, by the way. He, that makes sense. Yeah, because because it's fucking amazing. Yeah, it's just terrible. And like in terms, if you want to see him do a senseless death, exactly. That's if what you, that looks like. That's what a senseless death looks like. It's not a death that is senseless because it's all of a sudden and shock value. It's death that's senseless because they had hope. And there was no reason for this child to die, and there were so many ways ways out of it, but she's dead. She anyway. Um, and it made sense. And it, it was senseless, but it made sense. And it also advanced the characters in very specific ways because of who she was mm-hmm. um, and because of the way that she was revealed to be yeah. dead. And I think that, you know, the whole meaninglessness of death they went through that with Dale also yeah it's like you know you look at what happened with him and it's like what's the reason for that yeah um so if you're at if you think that if you're talking about Beth's death as being sort of like that um the required existential question of you know um is life just a flip of the coin blah 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 um we've seen them do that already we've seen them do it much better Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a point they need to make anymore especially I think with Tyrese dying an episode after her yeah. um, which I always have always thought um, no matter how good an episode his death episode was it was a problem a deep yeah. disservice to Tyrese yeah. because and maybe I am have blinders on because Beth was my favorite character because I connected to her the most but it Having those two deaths back to back, especially hers being a, a mid season finale death, that's yeah. what it is. Her death became was the finale of that arc. Yeah. Whereas his just sort of like slipped in as, you know, you we you, we didn't need the story didn't need him to die for no. them to fall into this pit of despair. No. Um, that led them to Moses Beardrick and you know. <laughs> Yeah, wandering, ne- wandering the wilderness and for 40 like, days and 40 nights. And yeah. needing the hope of Alexandria. Like, yeah. if that was the reason for Beth to die, they wouldn't have needed to kill Tyrese also. Yeah. Um, so, you know, th- that... Like I said, like, they're... The, the whole reason that we can talk about... We talked about this over and under and in a million different ways is because this kind of story 
any story created by people or artists or whatever, they're governed by rules that we know whether we've studied them, narratologically. I know, it's a weird word. How do you talk? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I'm so tired. You, you know, whether, they're, whether we can describe them in that way or whether we just know them because we have been consuming storytelling told in these ways with these rules since we were, you know... Right, we recognize these things instinctively because we've been immersed in them since we were old enough to understand what stories even were. Yeah, so I think, like... I've been saying this, like, a lot. I don't even know what it means. Like, call a wolf a wolf if you see it. Like, I just feel... Like, I'm sh- <laughs> I'm sorry. I I just queued up that um, scene in Jump in Twenty Two Jump Street with the uh, the slam poetry scene where he's shouting. I haven't him. seen it, dude. I know, I know, I know. I haven't seen it. But anyway, um, what's his face? Not not Channing Tatum. Jonah Hill. Yeah. <laughs> it's just sort of yelling random words and saying it's slam poetry. It's amazing, and I feel like that's what I'm doing right now. But. You know, Occam's Razor, rules of narrative, like, the simplest explanation is most likely yeah. the, the, the true the explanation. Yeah, well, and, and in fact, that's, that's, that, is, that is a rephrasing of actually how it's originally described. And I think that how it's originally described is more useful mm-hmm. for how we're using it in this case, uh, which is it's not just the simplest explanation. It's all other things being equal. Mm-hmm. The explanation that requires the fewest number of assumptions, the fewest mm-hmm. number of moving parts. It's not just this is gotcha. simple because you can describe yeah. it in a sentence. It's there is no if then, if then, if then, if then. There's like if and then, and it's really easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the the uh, it was a last minute rewrite requires a tremendous number of moving parts. The, you know, it was, well, they were always meant to do it, but it just happened really badly. That requires a tremendous number of moving parts. Um, and, and the moving parts aspect, it isn't even just the explanation of why it looked the way it did, but it leaves a tremendous number of other problems completely unaddressed. It does not, it does not solve the whole problem in one single go. And, and the problems include not just, you know, as you've been saying, it also includes char- the Arc, the character development yeah. uh, beyond Coda in terms of what's happening with Daryl. Whereas, yeah. I mean, he's had character development since her, but it's been a character development of stalling yeah. um, and of being stuck. And yeah, or of getting really, really worse. Yeah, yeah, and sort of being, you know, that the whole, like, the image I have is, you know, him. I don't know, in like, like in The Dark Knight Rises, that whole, like, Bane climbing out of the pit thing. Yeah. You know, like, being stuck at the bottom of a well and, like, clawing at the walls and trying to climb out of there and, and just, like, falling. sliding yeah. down yeah. every single time. And that's not... I mean, in terms of real life, that is definitely, you know, that can happen, but in terms of an effective story... It's and, not. Yeah, you can't, yeah. you can't have a character scrambling at walls with no way out and... Unless, you know, he's going to die. but Or unless he eventually will get out. And I mean, that's what happens with that scene, is eventually that happens. Yeah. Yeah. You're thinking of Chupacabra. 
No, I'm not. I'm thinking. I'm thinking of the actual oh, scene yeah. from Dark Knight Rises. Oh, Dark Knight Rises. But Chupacabra is an actual place to take that. Yeah, we've yeah. seen him at the bottom of a pit, and we've, we've seen, seen him crawl out, out yeah. with the ghost of someone who is actually alive, prompting him. Yeah. Um, which is probably not connected at all. It's interesting. Well, no, but I mean that 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 episode is. That episode is so crucial to every aspect of his character development that follows. I mean, one of the reasons why I love season... I actually really do love season two, mm-hmm. for all its flaws, is that that is where... That's where a lot of the deeper character development of all of the characters kicks off after yeah. the foundations are laid in season one. But especially it's where Daryl's character development kicks off, because so much of what happens with him later is first established in that season. Mm-hmm. His relationship with his brother... I mean, you kind of go into that in season one, but you don't really... We don't understand. We don't understand the abusive nature of it. You see so much about their history. Their their history is children in that scene in Chupacabra. So there's that. There's there's the fact that he's, you know, he feels a deep kinship with Carol because of their shared experience of abuse. And you also see that he feels a really deep instinctive need to to care for the vulnerable. And And to have someone to follow. And to have someone to follow, yeah, because... You really see that, you know, that's that's the season where he really starts to love Rick. God, fucking... A total digression, but the scene I always come back to when I think about them is the scene where Rick is trying to... This is also so interesting for Rick's character development later on, when he's, you know, ripping people's throats out with his teeth, um, where he's trying to put down Dale and he can't do it. Fucking yes. Sorry. And, and <laughs> Daryl takes the gun from him, and he's so gentle... Mm-hmm. Like he's that that is that is a moment where he's caring for Rick so so profoundly, and you know I think in that scene you see that he's really kind of starting to love this guy. So there's that. There's the scars. There's the fact. There's the fact that he has this really uneasy relationship with his own body because you know he hides it when Carol comes in. Um, there's his desperate need to belong to a group. Everything that we see happen with Daryl from from you know up until now, from then up until now is established in that season. And we know from that season that when he tumbles down a hole with an arrow in his side, he's going to get out of that He's going to get out, yeah. And at, at, at enormous cost to himself, and he's in terrible shape when he gets out. But, you know, he, but he, does, he does make it, and at the end of it, he's stronger. And right now, we have no obvious indication that that is going to happen. But there's, there's no way for it to happen. There's no clear way for it to happen. Unless. 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 Yeah. <laughs> so, because, you know, if it was going to happen any other way, it would have happened by now. It's been too long for, yeah. you know, Rick to suddenly become the best therapist friend. No, that has uh, ever we've existed. seen him try to do that, and it is hilarious and terrible. We've seen him clearly give up on that. Um, yeah. Well, and he's got Michonne now. Michonne, you know, I, I love that relationship. I love Michonne, and I'm not disparaging it in any way, but Michonne has replaced Errol. And I, I mean, I think that that dynamic, okay. yeah, I think that dynamic is so interesting. The way that, like, I mean, in terms of the way that, well, Rick has sort of used his relationship with Daryl, you know, even unconsciously, is that, like, he was looking for a partner, and Daryl was the most capable. He was the one that was willing to follow, but now Rick has found someone who is not a, not following him. She's his... Yeah. Not to say that Rick is not to say that Daryl isn't his equal, but she's. she's well, it's, it's like yeah, it's like Rick, yeah. it's like Rick says in the car. If he doesn't make it, she can lead them forward, and that's not really Daryl. 
even though like we do see in season three no season four at the beginning of season four when Rick is like farming and Daryl is sort of he comes into more of a leadership role but you know just thinking about that his opening scene in season four when he's walking through that crowd of people saying hello to him he's not comfortable with it he's not a natural at it he's not the one who's going to create the new world order and then, no. but Michonne could and she, she... She's a general. She could be a general. Yeah. yeah. And she, you know, quote-unquote, completes Rick, um, or gives him what he needs in an emotional sense, a sexual sense, a family sense, in terms of her um, caring for Carl and Judith. Yeah. Whereas, She's a full partner in every respect, in a way that yeah. Daryl just couldn't be. Yeah, and that leads... I think the most important part of that, I feel like we've talked about this in a different podcast. Or I'm so. sure we have. But like, we talked a lot about Rick, I'm sure we've covered it. Yeah, but I'm just, I mean, what fascinates me the most about that, um, not just the fact that Rashon is an amazing relationship and, like, bless the writers for seeing the potential in that and running with it, but yeah. also that Daryl has no, he doesn't have a place in the group anymore. Nope. Aside from, you know, his guilt over Glenn and protecting Maggie and her baby, but... Yeah. She, Maggie doesn't need him for that either. She has her. She's proven herself capable yeah. um, of providing her own strength, her own emotional needs. Plus, she has Enid and Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she's going to lead Hilltop. I mean, she herself yeah. is taking on kind of a general. Yeah. I mean, if we're, if we're going into a war arc, I'm actually kind of seeing this in sort of military terms. Mm-hmm. Michonne is a general. Uh, Maggie is becoming a general. Carol is going to be a general. And Daryl is not... He's, is a, foot, he's a foot he's soldier. He's a foot soldier, and that's not to put him down in any way, but he, he is not a leader. It's just, if he's a leader, he's a leader in, what we, in the way we see it at the beginning of season four, which is a leader in coalition with a lot of other people, a leader in a supportive role. Yeah. I'm he's also, capable of doing that, but not, not like that. I'm also, if any of you have seen Band of Brothers, I'm totally thinking of the episode where they're trying to figure out how to get rid of Lieutenant Dyke because he's terrible. And they're trying to think, like, well, we could put in, um, you know, this guy would be the best, but he, you know, we need him to stay with the men because he has combat experience. This guy is sort of a dumbass, but the people like him, so maybe he'd be good. And it's like, you know, every single person has their place in terms of, if you're talking, again, if you're talking about it in a military sense... And I think that this, even though they are a family, this, you know, they're, go, you know, as they, even, they're, they have been a family, but even since the beginning, it's been a war, um, because they're living in constant threat of their life, and so you could see their lives in military terms, and Daryl, you know, is like the first knight of the Republic, or whatever, I yeah. mean, you know, the king, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the, the, uh, Lion, King and Lionheart. But now he has, you know, like I said, there's no one who needs him yeah. anymore. Um, so who needs solely him? Who is, you know, who has no other no other person to turn to? Yeah. Um, which wasn't completely true with Rick either, because he also had Glenn, um, especially as Glenn became a stronger character. But Rip, Rip Glenn. Yeah. Um, and, but the only time that we've seen someone need Daryl totally and completely was when he was alone with Beth. Yeah. 
And I think and even then it was a mutual thing. He needed her yeah. just as much. And yeah. I think that's that's the only place he would have left in this group is for Beth to come back and for him to have someone who needs him again. Yeah. Because that's who he is. He needs to be needed. Because um, yeah. he's spent so much of his life being made to feel like he doesn't deserve to be needed. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, just in, ter- in terms of... Especially going into what's going to be a very violent, very intense season. I mean, all-out war. It's the war, yeah. Um, you know, thinking about the placement of these characters and their headspaces and who they will, who they rely on and who they're willing to die for, Daryl, the only reason Daryl is still here is out of his, uh, you know, obligation isn't the right word, but the obligation he feels towards Glenn and towards you know, his unborn child. Yeah. And making sure that that child and Maggie survive because Daryl feels like it's his fault that they don't have Glenn anymore. Well, and and Maggie also, I think, is the last surviving brain. That's true. Yeah, because he feels responsible... He feels responsible for Herschel and he feels responsible for Beth. So Maggie is the last member of that family and I'm sure that's in his mind, too. Yeah. God, it's just... Can we talk about what we... Okay, I actually sort of want to go to bed soon, so let's talk about what we're starting to talk about. Why? We kind of already talked about it. I didn't talk about it. You talked about it. We'll talk about it then. Okay, why well, I'm still here. <laughs> I'm sorry. What time is it? I'm actually curious. It's 9.45. Oh, God. It's so far past my bedtime. See, that's, like, early for me. Yeah. Normal bedtime for me, like, is, like, 1.30. Oh, the days of... I was about to say the days of youth. I'm just like, oh my god. No, that's just, that's just how I naturally mourn. Anyway, No, sorry. that used to be me, but... And anyway, I feel like I'm still here. I mean, A for Daryl, because... I actually answered this ask, like, earlier today, but, I mean, I've, I've come to feel, like, even more than Beth. I think that Daryl is the soul whose soul is closest to mine. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of characters on this show and just in anything um and so I just I need him to be okay and or not or if he's not going to be okay I need to I need him to be in a place that has some closure Mm -hmm. and that's the thing that not giving Beth the body um doesn't do he has we've you know that's we we don't have closure for... He doesn't have closure because we don't have closure. Yeah. Um, you know, we... The closure would be giving a, giving Beth a funeral. Um, that could be one form of closure, and we didn't get that, um, which means that essentially Daryl didn't get it either. Yeah. Um, and so I just, I just need to know he's going to be okay. I just need to know... What happens to him because he matters to me on an extremely deep level um, that I've come to realize more and more as I've written him more and more. And I think that's the other reason why I'm still here is that I, I feel like, in some ways I feel like I'm clinging to the edge of this cliff because I don't want to be in a place without a fandom again. Yeah, um, and I think I'm kind of there too. I was thinking about this... Um, a few days ago, because I was walking home, and I was just feel my anxiety was just awful, and I just wanted to escape, and I, for the first time in a long time, I just fell into 
um, sort of writing fic in my head. And that hasn't happened for a while for various reasons, but I just fell into it. And it, it was the best I had felt in so long. And so, like, that, that was, I think, the most traumatic part of CODA, the immediate aftermath of CODA for me, was that feeling of what, where am I going to go in my head now? Yeah. What's going to fill, like, this, this show, these characters, this universe has filled so much of my head. Now it's just a black hole. Yeah. What's going to happen to that? Yeah. Um, and so I need, like, I need that, I need that place to go to. Um, but also I think I, one of the, I think one of the strongest things keeping me here is the fact that I've become a fic writer. Um, Mm -hmm. and not just having, I mean, part of it is having all these unfinished fics. I'm just like, Jesus Christ, I (laughs) need to finish them. I have to finish them. Yeah. Um, and especially for fics I haven't updated in a while, like Say Yes, Say Yes, a lot of it is for the readers, because I'm just like, um, like, I love this story, and I like, I feel freaking awful for making you love it, and then not updating it for like, (laughs) since 2015. Um. Oh, Jesus. But also for like more more recent fics, um, that, I mean, particularly almost fine and missing pages that I've realized um, are m- more about me. Um, they're about me, um, and realizing that has actually brought me closer to the characters again because it's made me see how like how I'm able to see myself more clearly through them, and that's because of. Specific things about these two characters that I have never found anywhere else. Yeah. Um, and I need to finish those stories. And to finish those stories, I need to be part of this world. Um, and I need to believe in miracles. You know, not to say that Beth being alive is a miracle in terms of the way we've been talking about it, in terms of narrative, but for the characters, it would be a miracle. Yeah. You know, her coming back. And I think it's, inter- it's interesting. That the sh- like, the, sh- the way the show deals... I mean, the way the sh- show deals with religion is a whole another discussion, um, especially now that Herschel's gone. But... Um, You know, I'm ha- I'm, try- I'm just trying to think of, like the miracles on this show seem to have been the reunions. Yeah. If you think of that, like I remember I made a gift set a while ago of yeah. like the reunions on the show. Like I mean Rick finding um shit, I remember that. Finding, <laughs> Fuck you. I'm sorry. Finding like the worst. <laughs> finding Lori and Carl and then, you know, Rick finding Daryl again and yeah. Rick finding Judith again. A lot of Rick, a lot of Rick. Well, it's Rick's story. So then also, like, Daryl and Carol and... Yeah, which is one of the most beautiful reunions we've ever seen on the bullshit. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, and and finding Alexandria was... It it resolved, I guess, some of that hopelessness, that, that hopelessness and meaninglessness that Beth's death and sort of Tyrese's death plunge them into but it wasn't miraculous no um except 
for Aaron. Aaron's appearance. Aaron's appearance. Is a very interesting little exception. With good news and the music box. And, music, and the dawn. And the dawn. And the fact that two women are the ones who meet him. Which yes. is very, very, very gospel. Biblical. Very gospel. Very yeah. biblical. Um, They're the ones who carry the news back to the rest of the group. Yeah. And the fact that it's the reunions and Aaron with that music box are the miracles that we've seen on this show. And the music box has been confirmed by Lauren Cohen. That's Beth. To be Beth. Yeah. Um, not to mention the storm and the idea of Frankenstein's monster. And, mm-hmm. and the fact that Daryl is the one that. who fixes it. You know, the, this, this man who's become like the center of hopelessness on the show. Because every other... I mean, it's, it's so interesting that you talk about closure. One of the things that I think of, I've, I've been thinking about watching season seven is that every other character, really including Maggie, has moved on. And I don't mean that in a sense of, oh, Beth doesn't matter anymore. I mean in the sense of these characters have had to learn how to live with extraordinary loss. It's one of the reasons why reunions are miraculous, because they are a complete reversal of the rules. The rule in this world is loss. And when you regain something, that is miraculous, because, I mean... Hey, sorry to interrupt. Um, so I was... Noise level is totally fine with me. I was gonna ask, are you planning on putting the couch down into a bed? Oh yeah. Um, that last time I did that, it was pretty loud when we did it, so I was just gonna ask if you'd be up for doing that before I go to bed. Well, she's only yeah, going to bed soon anyway, but yeah. Okay. When were you saying you're gonna go to bed? Uh, I was gonna go to bed now, actually, after I wash up. Okay. A couple minutes. Okay. Sure then. We'll do that. Yeah. Okay. We should probably wrap up anyway. Okay, but, um, but how long have we even been going? Like an hour or anything? Oh, well, that's fine. That's actually kind of good it's podcast. It's so short, but <laughs> I know. We how long did we go last time? Like two and a half hours? I know. Well, I'm just going to have to come back, because this is way more fun than talking to you on Skype. But um, the, the, the kind of the definition of a miracle, theologically, is, is a moment where the rules are complete. Are the, the rules are suspended or reversed. It's one of the reasons why resurrection is a miracle. The rule of life is death. If death works backwards, that is a miracle. And and in a world where, you know, you're being torn apart you're being torn apart from the people you love and you're losing people that you love, to be reunited with them, even though in you know the context of our world is we we are reunited with people all the time. It's very mundane. In a world like that it is miraculous. And all of the other characters have kind of moved on because they've had to get so used to loss that it, you know, even if they lose somebody extraordinarily dear to them and it's very traumatizing, they will pick themselves up and keep going because they have to, because, because there is no other choice but to do that. But Daryl is such a huge exception. Carol's moved on, she's got the kingdom now, and that's fine, you know? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that is the direction her arc is moving in, and I'm glad. I'm glad that she's moving away from Team Family because I think she's done everything that she can do there. And, you know, Rick's got Michonne, and Maggie's got the hilltop, and everybody else is, like we keep saying, everybody else is finding their place in this world and is, has kind of said goodbye to Beth in their own way. And, and now they've said goodbye to Glenn in their own way, in a way that is much, much, much better than what we got with Beth, by the way. Which is fine. I mean, Glenn should get an actually absolutely beautiful send-off, kind of in the way that he did at the end of the season. But everybody's kind of moved on from Beth, and Daryl hasn't moved on from anything. Mm-hmm. And that is bizarre. That is just utterly strange. And that's a lot of what is keeping me here, is that he deserves everything. Yes. <laughs> and it just, just man be happy for five 
everyone, everyone in this show deserves happiness. Everyone in the world deserves happiness, except for Negan. Um, yeah. Well, Rick. I'm so, not to say not to put down Negan fans, but just I personally. He's a horrible person. Hate guys. Him, so you can what? be a fan and still recognize yeah. that he's a horrible, horrible um, person. Yes, um, but just Daryl in particular has hit the 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 difference with him is that. The, you know, he's branded as the apocalypse has made him a better person. That his life before was so terrible that the apocalypse right. is... In it's like you were made for how things are now. Yeah. But then now he, he, he isn't made for this, so... No. No, he is completely, completely... He's never made for anything. He's completely out of place. He's not... He's barely functional. The only thing that's keeping him functional is, is fighting and revenge. Yeah. So. so, that's what's keeping me here. <laughs> is, like I said, Daryl... Needing to finish with my stories, <laughs> and just you know, in a in a in a. Oh jeez, I just got a song from Wicked in my head, and the world gone mad. There's something to be had for the ways thinking at school. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, with the world in our world how it is now, like please just let this one beautiful soul with. A ponytail and who understands in a way that none of the other characters do um the continuity between the old world and the new yeah. um which in terms of the apocalypse genre what apocalypse means is it's revelation literally means it's revelation. literally she is that's the embodiment of she understands what apocalypse actually is. It's not the end of something, which is how everyone else in the show sees it. She sees it as stay who you are, not who you were. Who, you, but who you were still matters. But who you are is it? it it's a con. It, she understands a continuity um, that that. Um, allow that emphasizes the revelation and not this the sort of and not the end. It emphasizes the continuity and not the end. Yeah. Um, an apocalypse is not the end of something. It's just the beginning of a new cycle. And I think it's the more I think about it, the more I think it's important. It the more I think that that makes her character even more important than she already was because it makes her important to the very you know center of the show um the fact that she understands that about the world um makes her extremely singular and yeah yeah i'm falling asleep <laughs> well but i mean just to close this out the good news is I have good news. Uh, the the good news is, and this is another reason why How She Dies is completely incongruous, the good news is, I think everything about the story that Gimple is telling, and I think this is especially true in season seven, is arguing for that, that that is the story. That's the story that he's telling. And yes, it's very sad, and people die, and it sucks, and Glenn died, and that was fucking terrible. But after Glenn died, Maggie got up. And she and, yeah. said to fight. And she, she said, the, the person who was in the least position to get up, she wasn't just devastated emotionally, but she was in unbelievable physical pain. She's the one who got up, and she's the one who said, we need to fight. And I think that is the perfect articulation of what 
Gimple's story is, and that is not a story in which Beth dies. Not at all. No. All right. So you go to bed. <laughs> we have to stop because I've got to make money tomorrow, and, and I, have to I don't want to. You can sleep on the train. You don't count. No. <laughs> I could probably sleep at work and no one would notice. <laughs> TBH. But anyway, um, hopefully some of that was um, coherent and interesting. It was all great. Trust me, I'm not that drunk. It was great. <laughs> I think I'm more tired than drunk. TBH. I've said TBH twice in a minute. Can we please stop recording? <laughs> all right, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Hopefully this won't be the last time we do this. Peace out. Right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> And we are back. I hope you liked that. And I really hope that it won't be too long before I get to do it again. So fun. And there was so much stuff that we didn't get to that I really, really wanted to talk about. Uh, yeah, well, uh, that's it. Ah, the oven beeped. Perfect timing. I'm making brownies. I'm going to go ahead and get going. Uh, One more time, again, remember, this is the last episode on SoundCloud, and we're going to be on Podbean in two weeks. And also, again... There shouldn't be any problem on Apple Podcasts. If that's already how you're subscribed, the RSS feed should switch over pretty much smoothly. Fingers crossed. Uh, But make sure that you're subscribed there uh, if that's kind of how you get your podcasts anyway. Because, yeah, no more SoundCloud. Oh, and uh, this Wednesday, Gone Podcast. Please listen. Super proud. Super nervous. The end. Okay. Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so, so much to people who've donated via PayPal or have uh, subscribed on Patreon. You are the people who help make this move possible and relatively stress-free. And thank you just so much in general for listening. And I will hopefully speak to you soon. Bye.